Welcome to another episode of the WAN Manager Podcast. I'm your host, Greg Bryan, and this is the show where we talk to networking experts about the data services that make business possible. We've talked a fair bit about network as a service and middle mile uh, on the show in terms of the framework, the concept, who the market players are, what products are available to some extent. Um, and although it's still, I think, early days uh, in this space, um, I really wanted to get into some, you know, maybe real world use cases. So to do that, I'm happy to welcome as my guest today, Amit Naik, who is the Director of Product Marketing at Cloudflare. Welcome, Amit. Greg, thank you for having me. Yeah, it's great to have you. Um, I wonder uh, if you could just start off with maybe a brief background, both kind of on yourself uh, and now what you're up to at Cloudflare. Hi, so I've been working in the networking industry for about 20 plus years, going back to the early days of commercial internet uh, to UUNet, if anyone remembers them. And it's been a really interesting journey watching how networks evolve. And I uh, found myself at Cloudflare uh, about a little over a year ago as uh, Cloudflare started getting into uh, uh, more of uh, the traditional enterprise WAN and, and network mm -hmm. as a service uh, business. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That, and that's where I wanted to start here because I'm, I'm sure a lot of the folks listening are, are familiar with Cloudflare are, are probably thinking of it as as a CDN, maybe maybe more recently, a kind of security company. I have you here to talk about NAS and, and, and the middle mile. Uh, maybe just give us a brief background on, on what I've already heard about a, a little bit on Magic WAN and kind of what Cloudflare is up to in the WAN space these days. Absolutely. So that's that's why I'm here. It's my my responsibilities at Cloudflare are product marketing for all of our network services products, so including all the Magic products. So Cloudflare, you know, we we've historically been, uh, we started with a very simple mission, right? And a very clear mission that still holds true today, which is to help build a better internet. Mm -hmm. And that's a very broad statement. It means a lot of things. But when we started off, we started solving problems on the internet that were you know, 10, 11 years ago that were predominantly around performance and security. Right? right, and that's why we built a CDN. We didn't start off wanting to be a CDN company. Mm -hmm. uh, we realized there were some problems we could solve there, and that's that was sort of our entry into the market. And more recently, we're seeing organizations become more and more internet centric, and we started right. thinking about well, how can we help them there? How can we uh, uh, solve some some of the newer problems that the internet is facing, where it's asked to become an enterprise network and it's asked mm -hmm. to become a corporate network, and it, it's. Uh, you know, the good day, the internet is great, right? But what, would you do you know, remote surgery over it, <laughs> right? Does it have yeah. that level of uh, reliability, availability, performance? Uh, and we definitely know the security challenges. So to, to help with some of these problems, uh, one of our products we launched uh, over three years ago is called Magic Transit. Mm -hmm. And this is our uh, network-based uh, DDoS protection as a service product. Right. And that's been really successful in the market. Uh, a little over a year, year and a half ago, we launched our Magic WAN service, which allows organizations to uh, interconnect sites and use the, uh, the uh, using the Cloudflare network and right. uh, and uh, you know connect data centers, connect branch offices, retail locations, homes, users, and what have you. Right. And then along with that, we also have Magic Firewall, which is our uh, firewall as a service offering in the cloud. Gotcha. So you're bringing all the magic together. I, I got to, before I dive in, ask you, did, didn't you guys used to have that wall of lava lamps for, for generating random numbers? Is that still there? 
Get, <laughs> guess what? It's it's yeah. back. So it's our, back. Our, <laughs> as, you know, as with most folks, we've had some uh, some changes in the way we work. Mm. Uh, right. So we uh, took advantage of the little pause and over the last couple of years and renovated our office. So it was uh, wasn't wasn't quite there for a while, but it just came back beginning of the year. Everyone's really excited about it. So I love if it. Anyone's ever yeah. in San Francisco and Townsend Street, stop by, uh, yeah. give us a shout and we'd be happy to uh, get you in and take a picture. Yeah, absolutely. I've, I've, I know I've seen that picture online many times and I, it always kind of gives me a chuckle, especially for your you know, uh, role-playing game nerd, you know, <laughs> random number generation, right? Like, I like that concept. All right. So, you know, I think it's really interesting uh, the, the sort of way that you phrase that, for, you know, bringing together the, the security as, aspect, like the Magic Firewall, the Magic DDoS, and the Magic WAN, right? All of that. And that if your original goal was, was making the internet better, all of a sudden, the internet has kind of become the WAN for many people, right? Um, so, you know, the, the the broad use case for for NAS and other middle mile solutions, um, I think has been on a lot of network managers' minds, even if they have not yet made the kind of uh, leap away from MPLS, it's certainly um, something they're thinking about, which is that, okay, well, I'm familiar with the internet, right? So am I going to do my enterprise uh, applications over that internet and uh, in terms of, you know, security, application performance, latency, that kind of thing. So, so I mean, one of the things I was hoping, uh, you know, you could uh, help us out with today is, is just some, some real world use cases. You've had MagicWin out there for a year and a half. Uh, what types of companies have approached you for, for these services and, and kind of what problems specifically are they hoping to solve? Yeah, so if you look at the history of MPLS, right, MPLS solved a lot of problems for the way WANs were built, you know, 10, 15 years ago, right? It solved the hub and spoke problem. Uh, you no longer needed like an N square mesh of tunnels. You no longer had to have mm -hmm. star topologies, right? It was sort of any to any connectivity. Also came with really good gold-plated SLAs. Right? You got your right. three classes. That's the key. Service. That's what, that's what's scary to give up, right? So yeah. Yeah, yeah. But but if you think if you think about it, last 10 years we've had this thing called uh, SD WAN. Which is mm -hmm. sort of the promise of hey now you don't you no longer need this uh, ironclad network with uh, you know, gold-plated SLAs to to do your business. You can use the internet. You can use a redundant broadband connection and uh, and make more flexible, dynamic use of it. Right. So, but we've seen some challenges with SD WAN adoption. It's I mean migration's not you know most organizations are in sort of some some phase of it. Right. Uh, they haven't fully gone there or in the process of going there. I still have some legacy MPLS, so they're kind of living in this hybrid world. But for a lot of organizations as well, I think this hit them really hard in the last two years, which is, you know, they, they had to massively reconfigure the way they work, massively reconfigure their office footprint, their, their physical footprint. A lot of retailers had to shut down stores and, and, or, or move stores or consolidate them. Uh, a lot of organizations consolidated data centers, right? Uh, right? And while as they were doing that, they had this thing called an MPLS contract that was locked in for three years mm -hmm. uh, that they were stuck paying for, even though they didn't, they no longer had those physical premises, right? So I think that really forced a shift in thinking with organizations as to like, what does this WAN mean for me? And, and can I look at it differently? Can I think about it a little bit differently, right? And then, of course, the uh, the corollary to the, all of that was uh, all of us have been working out of our homes for you know, the, right. through the better part of the pandemic, right? And we made it work, and, and you know there were all sorts of uh, sort of uh, ways we had to make it work. But we made it work, 
and organizations realize that, hey, everyone's, our business is essentially running on the internet now, right? right. So what does this mean for the WAN? So yeah, anything that of, you hadn't migrated to the cloud, you had a real impetus to do so in the past two years, right? So, yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. So, so a lot of organizations started looking at alternatives, and that was around the, at the same time that we launched Magic WAN. So we've mm -hmm. seen organizations ranging from retailers, you know, uh, brand new retailers opening a, a physical footprint, opening hundreds of stores, and rethinking their WAN strategy, right? Uh, right. Because they, they're much more internet-centric, and, and they're thinking about, okay, do I really need to backhaul everything to hub location? Do I need MPLS? Do I even need SD-WAN, right? Can I just like have a, mm -hmm. a service like Magic WAN, which mm -hmm. will not only give me east-west connectivity, but also uh, north-south connectivity uh, right. when most of my traffic's really just going to the internet? Right, right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, th I think that that makes a lot of sense for a lot of folks. And like you said, I think I, I would I would back up what you've said in, in terms of, you know, we hear from a lot of network managers and surveys and, and conversations like this and whatnot. And it is true that most are in some kind of transitory phase. They're not there's not not a whole lot of folks that are still all in on MPLS uh, or, or at least that are planning to stay that way in, in the foreseeable future. There's also not a whole lot that have like jumped fully into the internet sea. And so I think a lot of it is kind of trying to manage that, uh, that mixed situation for now. Um, and, and in that sense, I, I see um, kind of NAS touching on, on two different areas. There's, there's first like the, the technological changes, your, your, you know, instant provisioning, your bandwidth on demand kind of stuff, uh, you know, changing topology and, and uh, data center locations, but also just the, the very commercial model aspect. So you, you mentioned, you know, in the midst of the pandemic, there's folks locked into their three-year MPLS contract. That's been the way that it's been for a very long time. They're used to knowing what that price is going to be, having that be sort of very predictable. Um, and, and I think what changes in, in this world is is that all of a sudden the, it's not just in my doing this differently from an infrastructure standpoint, but my commercial model has changed a lot. Uh, in your experience, like, you know, not being at a carrier that, that is dealing with the kind of like MPLS commercial models, um, how do you see customers coming to you sort of uh, adapting to those like commercial model changes and, and different ways of thinking about um, what are the services that I'm getting and, and how do I pay for them? Uh, Greg, the one thing we've heard consistently from customers over the last couple of years is uh, is sort of this this need for flexibility and need mm -hmm. for agility, right? Right. Uh, WAN managers themselves don't have a good sense of what their hybrid work policies are going to look like twelve months from now, mm -hmm. right? So mm -hmm. they're having a hard time making longer term decisions uh, on on IT investments and infrastructure and the WAN because you know today they might be hybrid, and uh, six months from now we don't know the climate might change. Right. Uh, you know, organization might mandate everybody come back into the office, or at least majority of folks come back into the office. And and so I think the key term I've heard is, uh, you know, they want the flexibility, they want the adaptability. And part of this is also cost flexibility, right? The ability to dial down some of these services if we, mm -hmm. God forbid, right. go, go into another shutdown and, and have to stay home for another six months, right? Uh, right. So they want that flexibility. Now, 
you touch upon a really interesting point is around with flexibility, you also have some unpredictability, right? It's right, like, exactly. Like, I think that's one of the use. big things that, that we hear as a fear in this kind of thing is like, you know, I can go to my boss and I say, you know, my, my expensive MPLS, it's expensive, yes, but it's, it's going to be this much per, per month. If I go to my boss and all of a sudden there was an event and our network costs are, are you know, three times what we thought, that, that's, that, that's something they have to wrestle with, right? So, yeah, yeah. There's, there's a couple of different ways to do these pay-per-use models, right? So, so the one is the, the cloud provider model, which is, you know, you, you put a credit card down and, and you get a bill at the end of the month. Mm-hmm. You have absolutely no control over what that's going to be, right? And now they've brought in some, some controls where you can set caps and allocate budget, et cetera. Uh, but but that's been problematic for a lot of organizations because it's you know AWS you know cost management is a whole industry in itself right absolutely uh, yeah. and a lot of these cloud cloud providers also charge they don't charge by the the pipe they charge by the bucket of data that you move uh, which mm-hmm. is again a whole discussion in itself and you know we we've, we've blogged about this in the past but uh, our model is a little bit different in that we will sort of charge by the ninety fifth percentile of bandwidth that. Mm-hmm. And we'll charge at an aggregate level by region. So we get a you get a pot, you get a, a bandwidth cap for North America, for example, at the ninety fifth percentile. So you still get to burst above that, right? But uh, you get a bandwidth cap, and we don't care if your users are uh, are you know in one office, and uh, let's say you, you decide to bring your whole staff into your Austin office one day for an all hands, and suddenly traffic there goes up, right? right? We, we don't care that that went up, and, and they can still use and consume more out of that office for that week. Uh, and then later when the users go back to their, their home offices, right? So that the bandwidth gets, uh, it all gets aggregated at that regional level. Mm-hmm. So it gives a little bit more predictability. It's still a fixed uh, ceiling contract, right. but they have the flexibility to add to it down the road or, or, uh, or reduce it if they need to. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and that, you know, gets us to the, the kind of thing you alluded to before that, you know, the the IT infrastructure team reacts to all of this. They don't drive any of it, right? So whoever in the in the C-suite is, is making these decisions about what the, the future of work looks like, right? You know, obviously, I'm pretty strongly on team flexibility. Yeah. Right? And, and I, I can tell you, like, one of the... One yeah. of the there's a lot of factors that go into that decision. Your WAN capacity is not one of them. Exactly. I mean, this is this has always been the case for for WAN managers that, that you know out there in all kinds of things. Even down to where where do my data centers go? The the WAN wasn't a part of that decision for for a very long time. I think that that part's getting better. Security. The WAN often wasn't even a hardcore part of that decision, right? So it's, that's why I say that the IT infrastructure team ends up reacting to all of this. So I think. I think that's why there's so much interest in this space. Is is that the, the if the last two years have taught us anything, it's that uh, you know flexibility and agility are key, no doubt, right? That that um, things are going the the world is going to shift underneath your feet. And you know, to your point, even when we we do have um, some companies that might make uh, the decision to to you know send everybody trudging back to the office or, or whatever the case may be, the the compute. And, and the usage has changed a lot, and that's that's not going to go back to the way that it was, right? So, um, you know, people are going are going to have to be on Zoom calls or whatever because that's what their clients and and business partners or whatever are going to set up for them. So those bandwidth needs are are going to you know inherently be very different and and you know, fall under yeah. this no matter what I mean, happens at that level. You mentioned you mentioned Zoom calls, right? This is another common problem we're seeing, right? Uh, mm-hmm. uh, 
as folks come back into the office, like let's say even even if there are fewer users in the office than than there were before, they're driving way more bandwidth because right. guess what? I was looking around our office the other day, and every other person was in a was in a Google Hangouts call and a video call. <laughs> exactly. Right? Yeah, and, and that's yeah. just a very different traffic pattern than what we've been used to in the past. Yeah, exactly. And and I and I think at, at this point, one of the cost-cutting measures that a lot of people could undertake is is getting rid of their desk phones, even for example, right? And so then, that really changes the the uh, need for MPLS with class of service designation and you know SIP trunking and all this. I think is really you know it's not dead yet, and uh, these things always take a long time to wind down. But like you know. Definitely, it is not the future, right? So, so you know that that pushes everything back onto to the WAN manager. Pushes everything. Everything is just data at this point, you know. And so, um, I think uh, you know again, they they have to react to all of this and be flexible for a bunch of things that are inherently sort of out of their control. And so, I I, I do think that's that's why we hear so much from from the end user community about sort of interest in this, even if it is. Kind of like you know, waiting for the uh, you know the the commercial models and the technology and whatnot to to sort of congeal for them, or you know, frankly, waiting to get out of their three year MPLS contract for that matter, right? So yeah. So when we're thinking about these NAS use cases, like you know the the flexibility, the agility of bandwidth on demand, and that kind of thing, I think we also inherently have to think about the uh, the security aspect because like I said before um, in a way that security wasn't integrated into these networking decisions now you, you just can't escape it um, when you're changing where the firewalls are located and, and and what what traffic hits them and under what circumstances and and where that traffic is is headed and all that kind of thing um, so I wonder I mean if, if you could kind of just share with us a little bit more about what you've seen from from your customers about um, uh, when they're approaching, you know, uh, adopting something like Magic WAN, how are they also integrating the uh, the security options uh, into those solutions? So, so this is one of the best parts about Magic WAN, right? Uh, security is built in, and I'll talk about what I mean uh, in, in a moment. Mm-hmm. But we've been talking about the convergence of network and security for some time, right? So, yeah. so networks, uh, WAN managers and network engineers are the ones that just made made stuff flow. And then security folks came in and, and said, no, you can't do that. Or you can do that, right. but I gotta, you got to stick this firewall in the path in the middle so I can control the traffic. I can, uh, I, I can control what goes in and, and out. route everything over here far away from its destination so that I can hit the firewall I already have, right? Yeah. Exactly, exactly. But if you, if you zoom out a little bit and really think about like you know, networks 20, 25 years ago, right? They were kind of castle in mode, right? You had a mm-hmm. private network where all your business apps were, all your business users were, and then you had the big bad internet, which was uh, you know, unsafe. And that just had a bunch of consumer sites that, uh, and then between the two, you stuck a, a strong, big perimeter firewall and everything went through that, right? And, and uh the way that informed WAN architecture is you typically took all of your remote sites, backhauled everything to one or two data center locations, and that's where you had your internet breakouts. Mm-hmm. Right. And that worked really well when you know most of your application, most of your business apps, your mission critical apps were in that data center. You had to go there anyway, right? Right. But then in the, over the course of the last 10 years, we started seeing more and more SaaS. And SaaS is really architected to be delivered over the internet. 
If yes. you talk to the big SaaS vendors, that's what they'll consistently tell you to optimize performance. Just break out that traffic right from your branch, uh, put it on the internet, and then we can, from that point on, ensure that we have you have good middle mile connectivity. We'll go peer with all of the ISPs. We'll make sure that path is is good and healthy, and 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 we can manage performance better. Right. right. We've seen that sort of advice come through for quite some time, but organizations are really struggling with this model from a security perspective because now you start doing internet breakouts at each of the branches. You've just opened, I don't know, a hundred backdoors into your network. Mm -hmm. uh, it's not the way we're used to thinking and not the way we're used to managing security. And that, that becomes problematic. So, so uh, Cloudflare, uh, the way Magic One works is Magic One's part of a, a, a broader platform called Cloudflare One which is a network and security platform that integrates all of the security services on the same platform. So mm -hmm. we've been talking about SASE for some time, Secure Access Service Edge. So Cloudflare One is our answer to SASE. And uh, the way that works is when you connect a site via Magic WAN, you, you get the connectivity, which is you, know, you get a connection into the Cloudflare network and your own private routing instance. But then you also get a secure web gateway right there that you can turn on. You also mm -hmm. get uh, you get east-west routing. You also get a cloud firewall, and all of this is managed through a central console, central policy base. So you're no longer managing a hundred discrete devices or appliances. You're managing a policy rule base uh, that's much more consistent and puts security back into focus rather than worrying about uh, hey, are my appliances up to date? Uh, you know, do I have the latest mm -hmm. software? App? Is everything patched? Uh, uh, are my policies getting synced correctly? So those sorts of problems go away. You're just looking at one rule base that's synchronized across the entire Cloudflare network. And wherever the tra traffic hits, once it hits your instance, it gets supplied that rule base. So you have a very consistent user experience no matter what location you're in. So we're seeing a lot of organizations come to us recently with uh, hardware backlog issues. Uh, and they can't, they just, they're looking to upgrade the branch firewalls, but they just can't get them for another 12 months. And with something like Magic WAN, they can use what they have right now. All they need is, uh, is a device that can terminate an IPsec tunnel, and they can connect to, uh, to Magic WAN and then be able to use all of the cloud-native uh, security functionality, offload all that work from the branch device. Mm -hmm. And now they're no longer as dependent on, on the branch appliance. They can use what they have. They can use uh, a white box. They can use uh, really any off-the-shelf product. Uh, that can terminate an IPsec tunnel and they can sort of decouple themselves a little bit from mm -hmm. the supply chain mm -hmm. issues. Yeah, that's, a, that's actually kind of answers a question I had for you, which is essentially how, how are customers generally getting to you? So really they're, they're on DIA or maybe even a broadband connection and it's an IPsec tunnel to get to your instance. Does that integrate with any kind of like SD-WAN if they, if they still want some of the edge functionality, like say load balancing or something, can you, can you integrate with, with an SD-WAN device uh, or will it become a separate kind of service? Uh, so Magic WAN works with what you have. You can use Magic WAN mm -hmm. on its own, but it can also integrate with your hybrid uh, network WAN. It can integrate with your SD-WAN. We have partnerships mm -hmm. with a lot of leading SD-WAN vendors where we make it really easy to, to connect to, to Magic WAN from their console. Um, so if you're looking for, you know, you could, you could still use the functionality in the SD-WAN appliances to do path selection and failover and load balancing. Right. Uh, you could start off with Magic WAN being one of your options, but as, as you move more traffic over to it, you can then slowly decommission your legacy circuits or MPLS uh, 
and, and all the other broadband circuits, right? So you can use Magic WAN over DIA uh, using, mm -hmm. using IPsec, if that's what you have at the site. We also launched an initiative last year called Cloudflare for Offices, where we're going out to uh, all the commercial real estate companies in the world and, and uh, asking to put a Cloudflare app appliance in the building so that you can actually bypass DIA and connect straight into Cloudflare. Interesting. Okay. So, so then you're not really even getting a DIA service. It's all, it, it's kind of like, you know, in the MPLS world, what we could have, would have called like a, a, a local loop essentially. So you're, you're procuring a local loop essentially to, directly to Cloudflare. Absolutely. So, so, and this helps us address, helps our customers better control the last mile experience. It helps us mm -hmm. deliver better experience for our, our users and our customers and sort of take that last bit of unpredictability out of the equation. Right, right. Absolutely. So, so really in the end, uh, erasing the middle mile problem altogether, essentially. Absolutely. And you, you've talked quite, quite a bit about the middle mile and it's the importance of that, right? As we look mm -hmm. at more, more and more internet-centric networks. And this is our way of sort of solving different elements of it. So we've, we've focused a lot on the middle mile over the last uh, several years, right? Optimizing the, the Cloudflare network. Our network you know, spans over 270 cities across the globe right now. as uh, multiple data centers in many of these cities. Uh, it's, uh, we've been building it out for some time. We have our own uh, least fiber backbone and in, in, in major mm -hmm. parts of the world and major, uh, major traffic paths. So that's we've been investing in that middle mile piece. And then this is us going out to the last mile, going uh, right to the user's offices. Right, right. Absolutely. So that we have the whole end-to-end, -end, uh, last, middle, and, and first mile. You, you, you let go of the responsibility at the at the first mile but you have the uh, the last mile and the middle mile taken care of i guess right so yeah yeah and and the other thing to think about is is like cloudflare hosts millions of web properties so mm -hmm. you know, a, a good chunk of the internet is on cloudflare so if your users are going out to you know they're browsing the web chances are one of those websites is on cloudflare it's on that very same server that the traffic hits Right. Right. Uh, so and we don't. So the way we architect our data centers, it's really any service anywhere. So as soon as the traffic hits one of our, our servers, it gets routed, gets a sec uh, security policies and a single pass, and then it may need to go out to uh, the internet website, may, which may be available right there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, this is something that we work through with enterprises a lot. Uh, fr from what we do at Telegeography, one of one of the things we do is uh, what we call like the WAN geography benchmark, look, looking at the your physical footprint, the footprint of, of your cloud on ramps and all that. And, and it's something that is a little bit new to a lot of IT infrastructure teams out there because in the MPLS world, that was essentially all your carrier's problem, right? So, um, uh, and I think we, we're really encouraging, you know, end users out there now to, to think about um, the, the geographic footprint of their providers. And that's one thing, one reason I, I think I saw this um, as a really interesting sort of development of like coming from being a CDN, that, that was the whole point of being a CDN, right? Was that, was that you were, you were optimizing the geography of, of the internet in order to enhance performance uh, for those customers. And that's essentially the same concept here, right? So that you, you mentioned your 270 cities, that is going to be, you know, uh, probably as close as you can get to most of the major business centers and whatnot that that a lot of enterprises find themselves in, and and that really, you know, physical location aspect still really makes a difference, right? Yeah, yeah. One of the things we benchmark reg again, ourselves regularly against is, you know, how close are we in terms of latency to every single internet connected user on the planet? Uh, 
right? right. Not just wow. not just mm -hmm. users in North America with good connections, but like you know, sitting on the island of Mauritius yeah. in, the, in the southern Indian Ocean. Or, and that metric's been improving steadily over the last few years. Uh, last time we measured it were about 50 milliseconds from about 95% of the world's population. Mm -hmm. Wow. And as you yeah. can do to North America, it's, it's, uh, it's in the single digit milliseconds. Right. And I mean, really, especially for, you know, things like we're doing right now, like UCAS and whatnot, ends up making a, a lot of difference, not to mention a lot of enterprise applications that are really latency sensitive. So I think it, it is very much worth thinking about. And if we get to this, uh, you know, sort of um, uh, flexible working world, right? There's a, yeah. there's a lot of people that might uh, just distribute themselves all over all of those locations and, and still need, you know, enterprise level connectivity, right? So. Absolutely. And, and so you look at some of these, you know, more latency sensitive apps, more response and how to make more apps responsive, right? Like we're, we're pretty much right now approaching sort of speed of light, right? Mm -hmm. Optimize the, uh, optimize the, the path, optimize the connectivity. We're pretty much at the this reaching latencies that are equivalent to the speed of light uh, relative to the distances involved, right? So the other piece of everything Cloudflare is doing is, is, helping organizations move some of their compute to the edge and closer to the mm -hmm. users. So that's our, our workers platform, uh, which uh, allows developers to write you know, serverless apps without worrying about location. Uh, all they have to do is you know, write code and, and it, it just runs all over the world. Right, right, exactly. And, and there again, then that ability to sort of centrally manage things that, that would have required sort of local tooling in the past, I think is really key for, for the modern enterprise. I want to kind of wrap up by, um, you know, getting a feel for where you see things headed, both in terms of the the magic services uh, at Cloudflare and then, you know, just the, the WAN uh, world in general, since that's your purview there. Um, you know, how do you see things developing over the next few years with, with your typical enterprise who's coming out? of that uh, multi-year MPLS contract and, and, uh, and what is, what is their role and network kind of look like to you in the next few years? Yeah. Yeah. So in, in the near term, we're seeing a lot of focus in organizations around security and transformation and by association RAN transformation, just to support the zero trust model, right. Mm -hmm. uh, to, to do some of the things we just talked about, how to make uh, security more internet centric, how to make it more flexible, how to make it identity and device posture based. So we're doing a lot of work in that area uh, and as well. Uh, the other big change, uh, not so much a change, but evolution that I see is uh, multi-cloud networking. Mm -hmm. As more and more of our resources live on public cloud services, right? What's the right architecture to tie all of this together? Uh, of course, Magic WAN gives you the ability to kind of connect uh, VPCs and different cloud providers as well as hybrid data centers. but. Uh, now, folks are still kind of working through the right architecture, the right model, the right uh, management plane, the right operational model for, for multi-cloud and, and hybrid cloud, cloud networks. I see mm -hmm. a lot of uh, focus going into that. Uh, we're working, uh, putting a lot of investment in that area as well with Magic WAN and making it easier to use with uh, your favorite public cloud service. Right. And then we're also seeing sort of uh, some uh, putting some investment in, in around optimization, right? So how do we, uh, now that we've solved some architectural issues and security issues, how do we uh, improve performance? Uh, and what techniques can we use from the, the, the traditional WAN world into Magic WAN? Like, mm. can we turn add WAN optimization here, for example, right? Mm -hmm. But those are some of the things that we're working on at Cloudflare.
Yeah, absolutely. And one question I, I like to ask a lot of different folks from different perspectives is, what implications do you think this has for for what the the sort of even the concept of a WAN in a sense, right? So, and what I mean by that is that if we take the concept, uh, you know, from its kind of namesake origin that you had a local area network, like, you know, a LAN, like computers actually sort of linked together. We extended that across the world, essentially computers linked together. And there was this network that, that belonged only to you. It was separate from the outside world. That is kind of going away. And what we have, uh, you know, sort of left, uh, is that, a WAN in in that sense, or what do you, what do you see the WAN becoming? Do we go to a world where there's basically just dumb internet pipes with with uh, you know software on top of them? And and that's a really good question, and one I ask myself uh, and ask uh, you know experts repeatedly and and customers mm-hmm. repeatedly, right? What what is the future? What is the future experience? Right. So a couple couple things to think about there. One is. Yes, there is for users and, and individuals, there's it, more and more sort of push towards a, a more seamless experience. I've heard the term like Starbucks likes experience, right? It's like you go into <laughs> a Starbucks cafe and, and you do your work from there. And why can't we do the same experience in an office? But uh, the other side of this is as users are going more and more internet centric, there are more and more devices appearing on the network in the offices mm-hmm. that, are, that are internet connected. Uh, that right. may have some east-west traffic, right? This could be, you know, more intelligent devices, coffee machines, cameras, card readers, right? right. So there's the the whole IoT and OT trend that, that's sort of ramping up. So it'll be interesting to see. I, I don't think, I think there'll continue to be a need for a WAN. There'll always be east-west traffic in an organization right. that we right. need to support. But uh, with the rise of IoT and OT, it'll be interesting to see uh, kind of how the traffic patterns change. Well, me, thanks uh, for doing this. This was really interesting. And um, I'm sure that uh, everyone in listening has learned a little bit of something I certainly did. Um, how can people find you if, if they want to connect in some way? Or do you have a blog uh, that people can read, something like that? Uh, sure, yeah. You can reach me at amit.cloudflare.com real easy. Or, or, or I'm on Twitter as well. So mm-hmm. feel free to reach out if you have any questions. and uh, Or you can ch- learn more about MagicWan at cloudflare.com slash magic-wan. Excellent. All right. Well, thanks so much for joining us. I'd, I'd love to check back in and see, uh, you know, how all of this stuff is developing because we, we really do find ourselves in, I think, the most dynamic period in, in corporate networking that we've seen in quite a long time, maybe since we switched over from private line hub and spoke to the MPLS world. But that was that was a singular kind of switch. I think this is going to be an ongoing process over the next several years at least. So, yeah. Thanks for listening. The WAN Manager podcast comes from the team at Telegeography. It's edited and produced by Jane Miller, and it's hosted by me, Greg Bryan. I also wrote the theme song that you're listening to right now. To learn more about our data, jump over to telegeography.com. Or if you want to get right into more WAN content like you hear on the show, you can visit Telegeography's WAN Forum at wanforum.com. We've got all of our podcast episodes over there, WAN manager survey data, and extra analysis pieces. That's all for now. So until next time, WAN enthusiasts.